Hi everyone, welcome to Chord Chronicles, our new podcast chronicling music albums released January 1st, 1970, all the way through the decade, and which is the best decade of music in my opinion. And Amy, would you like to explain to everyone exactly how we plan on chronicling these chords? Sure. So we are going to start January 1st, 1970, and we're going to try to do at least one week's worth of music each episode. So this episode, we will be talking about the albums that came out January 1st through January 7th, 1970. And we haven't said it, you know, there are some weeks that have maybe only one or two albums that came out. So we may actually combine weeks, but we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And it is going to be a major undertaking. I will put that out there. But like you said, somebody has to do it. And I think we are the somebodies to do it. Sounds good. Well, I guess we can actually start from January 1st, like you said, 1970. I guess we can start with Barbara Streisand's Greatest Hits. (laughs) Oh, what do we have to say about Barbara Streisand? (laughs) I was... Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 go ahead. You go ahead. I understand her popularity. I was not personally a huge fan of it. Um, she does have that powerful, emotional, storytelling type of voice, but it was just kind of boring and just not my thing, I guess. Well, I went into this with, you know... I tried to leave my prejudices behind because when I think of Barbara Streisand, I think of lame. I mean, if I'm just going to be honest about it, kind of corny, the only really, like, the only real thing I know about Barbara Streisand would be South Park satirization of her, which is with Mecca Streisand and just being ridiculous. And then I do know of some of her music, but it's more of a sound of music type you know, musical, Broadway type thing. And that's not really my favorite type of music. But I did go into this, you know, this album with an open mind and tried to just listen with an open ear. And when I was researching a little bit about this, this actually was her first Greatest Hits album. You know, take that as you will. Um, Most of these are cover songs that were recorded between 1963 and 1968. So if they sound a little older and they sound, you know, not as 70s because, you know, the 70s music does have a certain sound. It really does have a certain feel to it. The more you listen to it, you kind of catch this vibe almost to it. And I don't know if it's just the what was going on at the time or whatever, but it, it has a certain sound to it. But a lot of this will sound dated because this was January 1st. 1970 so this is almost a six you know a 60s album so that's where a lot of this comes you know in to play but um, this first album it's 11 tracks and I didn't know how you know in depth you went in on when you listened to it but I just wanted to you know go through track by track real fast because I don't want to get bogged down in Barbara Streisand <laughs> I don't want the listeners to get barbed down. If you love Barbara Streisand, ladies and gentlemen, then that's great. If that's your type of music, and I don't mean to, you know, talk badly of it, 
because I don't mean to talk, you know, I don't mean it that it's a bad type of music. It's just not my style. But I am going to review it the way I listen to it because I've listened to a lot of music. But with that being said, I'm going to start with the first track. It was it's called People. And this is one of best known tracks. I mean, if I mean from what I can research because I don't know. <laughs> it was originally from Funny Girl, the movie Funny Girl. And my basic notes about it, it is movie music. It was boring in my opinion, but it was, you know, it, you can hear it in the background of a movie. You know, it's basically telling a little bit of a story about, you know, her opinion about people and what they're doing. So that's, that's all I really had to say about it. Kind of boring, you know. So starting out, you know, kind of getting a little bit of Z's action. <laughs> did you, I mean, did you listen to yeah. the whole thing or did you have to skip it? No, I listened to the whole thing on that one. There were some others that I have to admit I did not listen to the full song. That one I did because I was already kind of familiar with that one. Um, it was one of the better songs on the album, I thought. <laughs> but, it again, it just isn't really my thing. I like musicals, but I don't know. I just like something a little peppier, I guess. And that was a theme on this album that I noticed was it wasn't very peppy. There are, yeah. uh, you know, I, I probably will note that as I go through these songs. There were, you know, two or three, maybe four in here that are a little bit more upbeat, which were great, wonderful nuggets right in the middle of all this drear. <laughs> it's very dreary. <laughs> So, with yes. that being said, I'm going to go right to the second song, Secondhand Rose. I mean, I can't really add anything. It was the same as the first song. It's not for me. It almost had the exact same sound. So, it's like it continued on. I could listen to people right into Secondhand Rose. I wouldn't if it were me, but I could <laughs> listen to them and it would listen to the same, like the same song going through. Just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, Secondhand Rose is one that I didn't listen to the whole thing because it did feel very repetitive and maybe a little whiny <laughs> yeah I caught that too so you know like I said it wasn't really remarkable so I just want to gloss over those yeah. the the third song why did I choose you I think would be good dinner music in the background it's not boring it's it's actually kind of interesting I didn't mind it I thought it was the best so far in my opinion of the three songs I, and the, it, I feel like it was, you know, it's a little bit different maybe from the first two. So that's maybe why I liked it a little better. So, but it has more of a dinner jazz feel to it. So it was, it was a little bit different than the first two. So maybe that was why I rated it a little bit higher in my opinion. But. I will defer to you on that because that one was not a standout for me at all. I'm not saying it was bad. I didn't make any particular notes about that song, and I don't remember it. So, <laughs> I listened to it, but I don't remember anything in particular about it. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go just go on, because like I said, it wasn't really remarkable, but it was, in my opinion, the best that so far. Now, the fourth song, He, he Touched Me, could be taken a lot of ways. We're going to keep <laughs> this as a PG show. Yes. Which is, and in this day and age, this could be a, a cry out, but it's not. This is from a simpler time, ladies and gentlemen. This sounds way older, in my opinion. This song sounded a lot older. I think it was probably 
more toward the 1963 side. Now, I don't actually have that written down, but it just had a older sound to it, like an older movie sound. Yeah. I agree. So, and that's that's all the only note I made about it. So, if you like yeah. an older movie, you know, like an early early 60s, maybe even a later 50s soundtrack type of, of music to listen to, it's it's not bad. It's it's I've heard worse than that. So, but I'm just going to continue on. Uh, the next song was "Free Again," and I did not feel free again listening to this song. <laughs> I felt chained down. I felt like my my eyes were getting heavy. Uh, this was the worst song so far, in my opinion. It was very uninspiring, and I thought it was a weak effort on her part. I thought Secondhand Rose was better than this one, so <laughs> I didn't know what you thought about it. If you, I didn't make it all the way through that one, I skipped it. I've noted on here the, the songs that I skipped. So far, this was the first one that I skipped. I listened to everything so far, but I skipped Free Again about 30 seconds into it. So if it gets better, ladies and gentlemen, let me know. But I, I will never know, because I'll never listen to it again. I am free again. What did you think about it? I mostly agree. I I think I liked it a little better than Secondhand Rose, but I still didn't enjoy it. It just droned on and on. So, yeah. It was not as good as the one that's coming up next. Let's say that. <laughs> Yeah, well, we can go ahead and go to that one. Don't Rain on My Parade. I wrote down that it, it sounds like Broadway. It, I can yes. picture this being on a big stage, the lights, her performing it. This was pretty good. I mean, you know, I don't love musicals. It's not my thing. But this one was probably the, the most upbeat, just, right. you know, awake. <laughs> you know, something like that. This, this one is, is really not bad. If you like musicals and you're into that, that type of, of music, then you will probably really like this. So I do recommend Don't Rain On My Parade. Because I don't want to rain on anyone else's parade. So, you know, what did you think about that? This is probably the only one off of the album that I would listen to again, willingly. You know, I do enjoy the show tunes and musicals, so this one was okay. You know, I didn't mind this yeah. one Yeah, it, it was, um, well, <laughs> I'm trying to keep it keep it nice. It was a bright spot in the middle of these two dark clouds of depression. <laughs> okay? Cause, because, you know, like I said, Free Again was Z's for me. And then we had Don't Rain On My Parade. Very Broadway. Big, t big sound. Like, I don't, I, I feel like they had to put these songs in between. You know, if, because I guess they were trying to choose her greatest hits. Well, they had to put these like, yeah. songs with the bright sound to keep you awake. Because this next song, My Coloring Book, was, <laughs> once again, the worst so far. I put, I wrote on this, yeah. who likes this? Who likes this? <laughs> I, uh, I, you know, I've tried to be nice thus far about this. But I, this was the worst thing that I have listened to on this album and maybe by Barbara Streisand or anyone of that type of music. Throwing shade at Barbara on this one. But this was <laughs> terrible. Did you listen to my uh, coloring book? I wish you just would have colored I, it and not sang about it. I listened to a little bit of it. I didn't make it through the whole song on this one either because yeah, I totally agree. It was just not good. Not good at all. 
Like, I, I wish... <laughs> Y'all go ahead. I had high hopes for it with a solid title like my coloring book, but it wasn't what I expected. I almost wish they would have put all the, the right happy songs at the beginning of the album and then put all the... the <laughs> I almost said crap. It's not crap. All the all the dreariness at the end of the album. That way you could listen to all the good stuff, and then if you choose to listen to this, you know, that other stuff, <laughs> keep it separate. Because because the next song, the most interesting title on the album thus far, Sam, you made the pants too long. I love the title. I don't know why. It's quirky. This song was the best track so far. It's what I wrote, and I think it was. It was way more fun and listenable than anything that I had listened to, except for maybe Don't Rain on My Parade. But I did like this track. I would listen to Don't the Sam You Made the Pants Too Long again. And it, it does sound like a movie a movie um song. Like maybe it came from something like that. But I I actually kinda liked it. So maybe it's because it's surrounded by all these like I said, dark clouds of depression. But this one was pretty good. What did you think about it? I can't say that I liked it, but I didn't hate it. It's kind of solidly in the middle for me. Yeah. It was unique. It almost reminded me of the type of song that like John Pride or somebody like that would write. And I'm not a huge John Pride fan, but it had that same sort of, like you said, quirkiness. It was just unusual. And it wasn't super dreary, so that's a good thing. And that's probably what, you know, put it over the edge for me is because it was actually a little more upbeat. But I, I did like the quirkiness of it. So, I mean, that one is pretty interesting. So I do recommend everyone check this out. And it's weird because as I was going through these albums, just randomly made had this thought. There, These were originally LP records for the most part, you know, with a side one and side two. Some of my information that I have track listings for, it shows a side one and side two, and it has, and some it doesn't, because I don't think there are 11 songs on one side of any album of, of Barbara Streisand. So I don't know where these split. Now, I mean, you know, when you go back and listen to it with electronic media, you're gonna, you know, instantly, you're, you're gonna automatically, you know, get all this music in a row. But when you originally listened to this, I don't know where the cutoff, if it was right in the middle of this, you know, or, or where that cutoff, you know, happened. Maybe Don't Rain On My Parade started the, the first, you know, track on side two, because it is the Broadway tune. But I, I don't know. And if anyone else actually knows about that, maybe can, they can chime in on that. We'll uh, have more details later on that. But... You know, just an interesting little little thing to note because it's it's weird because this one it has it listed one through eleven, but it wasn't one through eleven originally. But anyway, you know, I like to ramble sometimes. But um, the next track, my man, I put um, once again it's more of a dinner background music type of thing. It was a little too boring in my opinion to just sit there and listen to it. I did listen to the most of the whole. Th the whole thing though because it wasn't so unlistenable like some of the other ones before it like I said I tried to go into this with open mind and open ears so more not not really my thing but if this were playing in the background at a like a dinner party or something I wouldn't hate it 
you know, what did you think about my man? Basically the same. Like you said, if it was playing in the background, I wouldn't hate it. I think that's mostly because I wouldn't notice it. There's nothing that really stands out about it, either good or bad. So, make of that what you will. It could be worse, but it could be better. Well, this next track... (laughs) I had interesting thoughts about it. It's called Gotta Move. It is more of a Broadway musical stage thing. I like this, actually. The more I listen to it, you know, the longer I listen to this thing, the better it got, in my opinion. You know, it does have like a frenetic pace with the drums in the beginning. So it does make you feel like, gotta move. And her, I don't know, her lyrics were were a little different than this. And, and it did have more of that moving toward the 70s, you know, vibe. And like, I, I don't want to say there were bongos in it, but it kind of sounded like they were using bongos. And... A lot of your, when you get more toward the late 60s, moving toward, you know, the 70s, you hear that a little bit more. People trying different sounds like that. So maybe that's why I liked it. It was a little more modern. And if her music does move toward a more modern, you know, slant, and she has more stuff like this, I won't hate Barbara Streisand music because some of these I don't hate anyway. I don't hate anything really like that. So when I say hate, it just means that's not really my, my taste. But you, but you know what I'm saying. But this one, like I say, I pro- probably would listen to this again. It was a little quirky once again, but I kind of liked it. What do you think about Gotta Move? Yeah, I agree. Um, well, like you said, I'm not sure that there were actual bongos in it, but it kind of did have that beat poet type of feel to it. You know, it kind of just gave me that vibe, and I also enjoyed this one. You know, it's one of my favorites off of the album. I Actually, I thought that it was a show tune, but it appears that it is not. So, Yeah, it, it, it does have that show tune feel to it, so I'm, I'm really surprised that, it, that it's not. But it does have that you know, big stage feel. I'm, you, know, it, it, you can see her performing that. But, I mean, I'm sure when she performed it in concert, it did have that big stage Broadway feel. So, you know, you take it how you will. Now, now the last track is actually a live track. This is Happy Days Are Here Again. This is recorded live in front of what I could gather were 135,000 people in Central Park. Regardless of how I feel about Barbara Streisand or her music, 135,000 people came to Central Park to listen to Barbara Streisand sing. So, much, much respect to this lady. So, this track, I I didn't listen to the whole thing. I'm going to be honest with you. I think I was probably Streisand out by then. And I I liked Gotta Move a lot more than this. So, Happy Days weren't here again for me for this track. But it wasn't terrible. I think I was just growing a little tired of it. So, did you listen to all of it? I did, but I was a little disappointed with it. I thought that I knew this song, and I thought that I liked the song, but after I started listening, (laughs) it's not what I was expecting at all, and it wasn't nearly as enjoyable as what I was expecting. (laughs) You're like a Monday, Tuesday, happy days. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No. (laughs) I thought the Fonz was going to jump out on stage. 
Henry Winkle. Although hey. I would have enjoyed that one more. That would have livened it up, ladies and gentlemen. You know, we might actually get run. I don't know when that album, any of those that stuff came out. I think that's 60s, actually. Yeah. We might run into some of that, though. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That one would be... I don't remember when the show started, but that was 70s, I think, when the show started. Yeah, I don't know, though. I think that song is a 60s song, but I guess we will find out later on, which yeah. I'm so glad that I was done with this album, if I'm being honest with you. And if I were to give this a star, you know, one through five star rating or whatever, this is about a two and a half for me. And that's me being fair. <laughs> that's me being trying to be kind, because honestly, I, I gave him a half. I gave her a half star because... 135,000 people in Central Park came to see her. But it's not it's just not for me. But if you're into that type of music, you might act, I a lot of the ratings I saw gave her a 5 star, but I think they were being very generous with the 5 stars. What what do you think? Yeah, I didn't rank it per se because I am kind of terrible at ranking things, but you know, I agree. You know, it's it's not the worst thing I've ever heard but I probably would not ever seek it out to listen to it. So, so, yeah, I'd say two and a half is fair. And with that, we're going to set Barbara Streisand aside, ladies and gentlemen. But I do, you know, invite everyone to at least give it a listen. Give it one listen. I say give everything we talk about, every album, one listen. That way you can decide if you like it or not. Because, you know... This is our opinion, so it may be something that you really enjoy. This is just our, you know, our opinion and how we feel about it, and, you know, we're right, so maybe you should listen to us, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're very intelligent people, but you don't have to agree with us. I mean, it would behoove you... Just the big words and all that. No. Um, I'm going to go just go to the next album, because this album is exciting for me. Even though it all has an older sound, you know, an example of an older sound, but it was still exciting. This was someone I didn't even, I did not know about this lady. Her name is Joe Stafford, and the album is called Big Band Sound. And this is, once again, a greatest hits album. This was 1960 through 70, is when this was, you know, these came out. And a lot of this, you know, this is Joe Stafford singing with different um, big band arrangements. A lot of these were her husband, Paul Weston. And Paul Weston was a pretty big big band guy back then. I, I'm not very well versed in big band sound, but I, I do like it. I, that's a, a music that I actually like more, a lot more than the Barbra Streisand <laughs> Broadway stuff. I, and it is a little different. And this is titled as Traditional Pop Slash Jazz. You know, big band. So, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about how much I like this album without going through the, the songs, but I really like this. And I, it maybe coming out of the Streisand haze, maybe I, I like it more, you know. But, you know, what was your first reaction to this, this album? I mean, did, did you like it a little bit more than Streisand? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, I am predisposed to like big band music more. I do enjoy that music, but I wasn't familiar with Joe Stafford, and I was impressed. Like she's not the best I've heard, but she's pretty good. Yeah, I would say she's up there. I would say she's very underrated. Like I, I'm 
um, almost yeah. a shame that I did not know who she was because her voice is great. She has a lot of soul in her voice. Yeah. Very, like, very husky. Like, I don't, you know, she uses the huskiness of her voice effectively. It's very deep, deep, yeah. rich voice that she uses. And um, I'm just going to go in to the album. You know, the first one, <laughs> a little risky, risque, if you will. <laughs> Love for Sale. Classic big band sound. Once again, that's the name of the album, big band sound. So, haha. But I put a, this is some of my notes. Great horns. I loved how the lyrics uh, were a little risque. You know, it was a little tongue in cheek. Her voice was full, very rich and soulful. I put on there that I, in a, you know, all caps, I love this. Very classic. So, what did you think about it? Yeah, you know, being the first track on the album, it surprised me because I wasn't expecting to like it that much. You know, not being familiar with her, I was surprised after I started you know, hearing her that I didn't know her already. Like you said, she has a great voice. The song itself was not my favorite on the album, but it was good. I would describe her voice as a... not as strong as Patsy Cline, so don't get me wrong, but it has a Patsy Cline-esque quality to, to it. Maybe a little less of the accent, like the country accent that, that Patsy Cline had. But it does have that quality to it. So I don't want to compare Joe Stafford to Patsy Cline. But I'd say she's in the conversation. That was my, my thoughts. And I'm a huge Patsy Cline fan. So that was in that were my thoughts going into the next song. So the next song is called I Got It Bad and That Ain't Good. And I put this sounds like music from an old movie. It's a little this one was a little more subdued. Um, this one was okay. Not my cup of tea, per se, but her voice was still great in it. Her, she still had a very strong, soulful, like, full sound to her voice in the song. So, what did you think about that one? Yeah, you know, I wanted a little more out of this one. I wanted it to be a little stronger, a little um, jazzier, maybe, but... But yeah, there was nothing wrong with the song. It just... I think they could have done more with it. It wasn't the best on the album. And I think that she had more potential than what they did with the song. But it still wasn't bad. Yeah, and I, I do feel like uh, there were probably two or three songs on here that maybe... Maybe she had to hold back a little bit. Because she may have overshadowed the band. A little bit and I think that's, that's what it was and I think that's an example of this sound I think that's why she's a little more subdued like I say it was okay but she did try to stay back a little bit uh, you know so so that maybe the bit maybe the band got and it could be the way that they they arranged it you know I, I don't know that her husband I, I didn't know which ones her husband arranged and which one was other people because there were um, you know her husband did some of these and I think there were three or more different arrangers, you know, arrangements in this. So it, it could be any number of people that did this. So the style may be a little different. Um, with that being said, I'm going to go to the next one. It's uh, it's called Taking a Chance on Love. It This one has a, 
like a jazz lounge nightclub feel to it. You know, I can tell this was recorded in the 50s. It was 1958, actually. Uh, it, this one also has an old movie feel to it. And this is another example. This album did come out, you know, January 1st, 1970. But the, all these songs are older for the most part. Like I said, this one came out in 58. Even though I said this spanned 1960 to 1970. She originally recorded this in 1958. So that's why it did sound, you know, old, if you want to say old. It, it, it does sound a little different. But I liked it. Yeah, it was one of my favorites on the album. I really enjoyed this one. I thought it really showcased both the music and her voice really well. And it was fun. So, yeah. I would definitely listen to this one again. Yeah, I'd like to say, I think this one, so far, was the probably the best so far. Um, I'm going to go to the next one. And the next one's called Early Autumn. And, which is funny because my wife's name is Autumn. And I put on it, her voice was very full and warm in this. Um, the music was a little more in the background. It was mostly just like some piano. And once again, this one was okay. This wasn't my favorite on the album. I, you know, especially after coming out of the, Taking a Chance on Love, which I did like a lot better than, than this early autumn. So but what did you think about it? Yeah, it wasn't one of my favorites. It was okay. Um, it was very soulful. It kind of gave me Billie Holiday vibes. Yeah. But, yeah, it just... I didn't think it was as good as some of the other songs. I could, yeah, the Billie Holiday, I could, I can hear that also. I can, you can see why you would say that. Um, you know, like I say, it wasn't, it, I think it was a little bit weak. Uh, you know, compared to what what came before it, but it could be another example of the way they had to arrange these. Maybe they had to put something subdued around, maybe something you know they didn't want things to sound similar in a row. Maybe they didn't want you to have ear fatigue. Yeah. So. I think weak is a good word for yeah. it. So, I'm gonna go to the next one though, and um, it was called "Speak Low." It starts different. I put on once again bongos. I don't. I don't know that it was bongos, but um, I don't think the tempo or the music matched the pace of the lyrics. They seem at odds with one another. Like I didn't like this one. They they like they were battling one another. The vocals were great, but they weren't with the music. I, I, it was just disjointed feel to it. I don't know if it was intentional, but it just. I did not enjoy listening to it, especially after some of the other ones. Yeah, I didn't listen to the full song on this one. It just... There was something about it that just grated on my nerves. So I kind of had to skip ahead after about half the song. Yeah, I, I didn't, don't think I listened to the whole song either, which was, this was, that was the first one that I skipped. But I'm going to go ahead and skip it. <laughs> The next one was Candy. Um, this actually was Johnny Mercer and Joe Stafford doing vocals. I had to look that up because I like the guy's voice in this. This had a classic bubblegum pop, you know, 50s type vibe to it. I thought both vocals worked very well together, and I really liked it. I, I thought it was 
you know the arrangement was done well the music was great in my opinion it was it was solid it, it, it was weird in the middle of all this it, it sounded different I don't want to say weird but it sounded in an odd place it was sounded different than the other songs in my opinion what did you think about candy yeah it was definitely different um, I didn't care for it that much I'm not sure why because uh, I expected to but it just didn't grab me it this one felt a little weak to me as well so I don't think I listened to the full song on this one either maybe I should have maybe it would have grown on me I think I probably will try to give another listen just because I liked I liked Johnny Mercer's vocals in it as well I thought they played well off one another so I just like the interplay and maybe because it was a little different it was the first male vocal you know in, in this album it just was a little different and that's maybe why I liked it because it was you know right in the middle of all this but like once again it just seems out of place but I'm gonna go to the next one yeah. and that's any place I hang my hat is home um, I put a little more subdued um, with the vocals the brass instruments were nice they give it some some punctuation some oomph um, the voice was very soulful and full and, and it, I do like how she holds her notes I put that uh, by, by this time I put she is great uh, that's, that's just what I what I said and once again that Patsy Klein kind of feel came up you know, with me you know I didn't know how you felt about it but yeah this was it was actually probably my number one favorite on the album based solely on the sound of her voice you know, it was the first one that I wrote down you know, with a specific note about her voice was spectacular in this song. I love the soulfulness that she had. You know, it just... I love any type of soulful voice like that. And she really killed it on this one. I, I thought so as well. And, uh, this might have been, like I said, once again, you said it was the, the most soulful. It might have been her strongest vocal performance thus far uh, on this album, in my opinion. And I don't know where the cutoff it was for this album. Yeah. But um, it might have been somewhere around in here, I, w I would think. I would think she probably the album probably started yeah. with any place I you know outside too would probably be any place you know I hang my hat at home. So you know I may be wrong on that, but it just seems like the logical break point. Like Candy, maybe they did finish that out the outside one with that song. It was a little old. And then they brought you back in with something a little, little newer. So, I don't know. But I did like that. But I'm going to go ahead to the next song. And that was Old Devil Moon. And I put, she shows more vocal range here. She was higher on the scale at some points. Uh, the band was good as well. This was actually a, little, a, a different band arrangement. I did look that up. Um, her vocals, they have a very wide feel. And it's like they recorded in... A hollow sounds like a sound stage in the room but it works in this song and, and it could also be you know the technology or whatever but the other songs weren't like that so I think that was intentional with her vocals to give it that very wide broad feel to um, not overshadow the band but to 
sit side by side with the band in that song. Now, what did, what did you think about that one? Yeah, I agree. I don't know if it was intentional, but it worked. I really enjoyed this one. You know, I, I thought that both the music and the vocal, like you said, they worked really well together, and they were both really good on their own. So, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah, I, mean, I did as well. This, I'd say, side two started out, it's starting out very strong. So I was getting excited, like to make this a at least a four-star album. So far, it's it's already hit it for me. But I'm gonna go on to the next song. It's "Teach Me Tonight." I put on here. It's a little sassy in a way, like you know, like you say, you I have a lot to learn. Well, teach me. I do like this song, and it may be a little risque, like tongue in cheek, but I like the subtlety in it. And I like her once again. I'm always, I think I'm always gonna like her voice and her vocals, but I did like, just really like it. Yeah. You know, what, what did you think about it? Yeah, I got excited earlier yeah. when you mentioned Patsy Cline because after I listened to this song, I had the exact same thought. I thought, oh my gosh, she sounds like Patsy Cline, and I also love Patsy Cline, but. This one in particular, I just really got that vibe from it. It was good. It wasn't one of my favorites on the album. I didn't like it as well as Any Place I Hang My Hat Is Home or Taking a Chance on Love. Yeah, I would but listen I did to this it. one again. I would say that. I uh, I enjoyed it. It wasn't the best, but like I said, this side two of this album is strong. I would like to listen to this album on LP. I would like to hear how, you know with all the original fullness of her voice with the cracks and pops that come along with vinyl but I would love to hear this just to hear how, how full her voice really is because these have been remasters the way we're listening to this so they've taken a little bit out of this so just the audio nerd in me <laughs> you know. uh, but I'm going to go to the next song because we're getting near the end of this album uh, the, ne the next song is called The Night We Called It A Day well I put uh, this was a very dreary song for me. Very sleepy. My least favorite so far on the album. And I had to skip it, unfortunately. So they, I think they had to bring it down a little bit. They had one, you know, they were trying to put more tracks on here. And they had, you know, this track, they threw it on near the end. I think this is what this was. They just put it on. They recorded it, might as well. You know. Yeah. Um, this one did not meet the same standard as the last few, and I think you know, this one and the next few on the album, I would say the same about. They just, they weren't at the same level. They weren't bad. Just. But they weren't yeah. nearly it's as like good. It's like it was t starting to take a, I don't say a downturn, because they're not bad, but they're not as... You know, they're not my favorites. But um, I'm going to go to the next one. The next one right. is the one I love. Um, I put she's singing about liking, a she likes a taken man. Um, I do like the background vocals in this. This one has a classic jazzy sound. Um, I, this one was one of my favorites. And um, was much needed after the last track, in my opinion. I thought the saxophone was great in this song. I like how it came through. Um... It gave it that 
soulful jazzy sound and my ear really really appreciated it after that last song so what did you think about it i wasn't impressed with this one um i don't i don't really have anything in particular to say it just didn't stand out for me just kind of kind of a vanilla it's the vanilla of the ice cream of the music track world <laughs> well i'm gonna i'm gonna go the next one then um, and that's anything goes. It's, this one was, I, 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 it's, I don't mean to laugh because she's singing about the world's getting bad. Little did she know. <laughs> so, but this is, um, this is, you know, she needs to come to 2020 or maybe she doesn't, but this is classic. This is classic jazz. Uh, and I like this. Um, the band was on point as usual. Her vocals were a little subdued, but I, I believe it was so she didn't overshadow the band because the band, I thought, was really great in this song. Just classic jazz track. So I, I thought it was pretty pretty good. You know, not, not the best, but I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Not the best, but pretty good. I did like the jazziness, but I did think that they could have done more with it. So. Now, next song I put on here is fun. I, That's exactly I, what I said. <laughs> I love this song. It's called What You Know Joe. The background vocals were playing off, off of Joe. You know, they were playing off one another. Um, very classic sound. I put, it was really good. Like, one of my favorites on the album. And this one was really fun. This one, I like, out of any of the songs... That you list if you listen to anything, you know, choose to listen to on this album. You don't want to listen to the whole album. I probably would pick this one because because it's so fun, you know. It, it was I mean, you were kind of almost the end of the album now, and I think that's what they were trying to do to give you a little oomph, you know, a little bit of fun. So yeah, um. this is where it started picking back up. <laughs> you know, I agree. This one was a lot of fun, and I really enjoyed it. And. We're gonna, I'm going to go to the last track. It's called Tomorrow Mountain. I put, as always, her vocals were superb. And the band was on point. Uh, no, she makes me want to pop into Tomorrowland. Maybe just give it a quick glance, at least. you know. <laughs> but I, I think this was a good choice to end the album. You know, I like this track. I love the arrangement. I, I always, like I say, I'm a little biased because I love her voice. But... I thought it was a superb, excellent track. Well, I don't know. What, what do you think about it? I'll have to disagree with you on this one. I thought this one was a miss for me. I thought they could have easily left this one off, and it would have been a better choice for the album. I didn't like this one at all. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It just... It was a little too slow. <laughs> Especially following the fun of What You Know Joe. I felt like that would have been a better ending point. You just missed Joe. That's what it was. I, I guess so. That's, that's <laughs> what it was. <laughs> um, that album, for me, I think I hinted at it before, but I, I didn't want to go five stars. I'm trying to give a little wiggle room. I gave this one four and a half stars. As close to a five star as I can give right now. You know, I'm only We're only two albums into the 70s, but... I believe that's about as close to a five star as I can give. That's a four and a half for me. 
I I don't think there was a whole lot weak about that album. Maybe a two couple tracks. So, what did you think about it? Yeah, I'd probably go a little lower than you, but probably still at least a four. Which is funny because you love Big Band, and I, I just like it. <laughs> I just like it. Maybe I'm starting to love it more. Maybe when you get old, maybe you're getting old. I guess what it is. I'm starting What's to get that old. What's say about why. me? I've, maybe. I've lived no, since college. Maybe you just have an old so. That's what it is. And I'm just starting to go old. That's what's happening. <laughs> well, we're going to take a weird turn. Because this is just albums released in 1970. So this could be any kind of music. We went with Barbara Streisand, which is, you know, Broadway jazz type thing we went to joe stafford jazz big band type of music both these an older classic sound the next thing we're going to get into completely different than those something that i thought was great by the way <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> um this album also came out january 1st 1970 and i'm going to talk we're going to talk about taste on the boards I had never heard of Taste before. Have you? Other than no. once we started listening? No, this was I, the first time. This was my first, and I'm be honest with you, I'm looking more into Rory Gallagher. Uh, this is an Irish rock band. Uh, I said Rory Gallagher. He was the front man for this band. He <laughs> played multiple instruments. Uh, I could list them all, but it's a lot. Uh, he does all the guitar, like the main lead guitar work. He sings. He plays harmonica. He plays saxophone. He, this guy is a musician. He's a maestro, I, I believe. I really like Rory Gallagher and didn't know anything about him Once going into this album. Now, this is categorized as a progressive blues rock album. And I can agree. I can agree because it is, you know, it does have progressions in it that it does have those peaks and you know valleys in the songs where they have build-ups and that sort of thing so um, yeah i thought this was excellent but um i'm gonna go go right into it because the first track was very solid it's called what's going on <laughs> this is these are my exact notes is this cream great all the way around I love this but I'm gonna make a, a, a comment right now though no I'm gonna wait I'm gonna wait as we get more into it but my first comment is this cream because it seems like a little bit of a ripoff a little bit I mean I like it but uh, what did you think about it yeah it was really good I definitely agree with the cream influence I don't know that I would call it a ripoff but the there was definitely some influence there. Um, after I listened to this album once, I recommended it to my husband. And within one second from that very first guitar lick, he messaged me and said, This sounds like Clapton. <laughs> so <laughs> it's not just us. I did find out that Taste apparently opened for Cream in 1968 during their farewell shows. So there is a connection there. Well... <laughs> This was my this was my quote, and I, I just saved it until now because I wanted to make sure that someone else verified that it sounded like Clapton or Cream. I put free 
more like dairy free. <laughs> Horrible dad joke, I know. So, yeah. <laughs> but what's going on? I thought it was a very solid track. It did sound like cream. I don't mind it though, because cream's awesome. So, and Clapton's awesome. This guy, Roy Gallagher, not as, I don't want to say he's as good. I mean, how do you rate a guitarist that's that good anyway? Because Clapton is, is classic, you know? But this guy is very, very good on guitar. Like, very solid. I don't want to say he's Clapton, but I mean, I I don't know. I would listen to this guy play. Like, he's he may be Clapton light. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm gonna go the next. Hold us yeah. up. <laughs> oh, he's he's great. Yeah, that, I'm not gonna pray, heap too much praise on him until I get through the album. Though. But um, Railway and Gun was the next track I put on here. That is very bluesy. I love the long guitar solo in it. I thought it was awesome. Uh, this guy is slowly becoming <laughs> another musician that I'm gonna have to look more into. Already two tracks into this into this album. I recommend this album to people. I've already let people know about Taste. It's as if they had ever heard of Taste. So, what did you think about Railway and Gun? It was one of my favorites on the album. I really enjoyed it. You know, like you said, it was really bluesy. And you know, I really liked that about it. So, yeah. I really liked Railway and Gun. And you have to like blues music. But, I mean, I don't understand why you don't like if you don't like blues music, something's wrong with you. But <laughs> nah, but this, this just has a very soulful, full sound to it. And I just like the mix, the audio mix as well. You know, without getting too into the specific, the Pacifics, the Pacific Oceans of the mix. You know, like I really like how they mixed every all everything, the vocals and the guitar and everything. And I bet Rory Gallagher probably had a hand in that as well. I don't know that, but I'm, he probably did. He, if he does all those, he plays all these instruments and he sings, he seems like a control freak. So, probably, but I don't know. But I'm going to go to the next track, and that's It's Happened Before, It'll Happen Again. I put very jazzy drums, they, they traditional like jazz sound, that where they ride out, you know, almost. Um, I thought it was a very solid track. It wasn't my favorite, but the saxophone in it was great. I, I loved it. it. It surprised me because I didn't know it was coming. And, and I mean, I just like had the headphones on, sat back, and enjoy, enjoyed it. I liked it, so I can't say anything bad about it. <laughs> what did you think about it? <laughs> yeah, to our listeners, I promise we did not discuss this with each other ahead of time, but... My exact note on track three is pleasantly surprised at the jazziness. You know, it was. It you know, it had the horns, almost a Chicago type of sound. You know, I, and I didn't expect that. So it took me by surprise, but it was a good surprise. You know, it wasn't my favorite off the album, but I enjoyed it. Yeah, I think it it does have it sounds a little different than the first two tracks. The first two tracks have more of a I don't want to say Mississippi Delta vibe to them, but more of that swamp rock vibe, that blues in it. It has more of that, that vibe to it, which is weird because, like I say, this is an Irish rock band, but uh, they do have that sound to them. 
and this the, like it's happened before it'll happen again it's a little different it doesn't have that sound as much so I, maybe that's why I liked it too it shows he he's varied he has a, more more talents than just playing blues style because you know a jazz is very very hard to play if you are very like that is where your real musicians are actually actually come from I can make people mad you know or whatever but usually if you study classical and jazz that's where you're that's where you're real you know quote musicians are coming from you know, that, that actually are technically sound you know my opinion maybe but I, I believe that to be fact as well so yeah it was a departure and it shows the range that they have so, so but I'm gonna go to the next song and that's if the day was any longer I put this sounds a lot older but it was good blues music uh, their harmonica and it sold it for me <laughs> Once again, I love blues, so, you know, some people may not like harmonica. You know, they may find it annoying, but I love it in music. And I, once again, he just added another instrument in there, and it just, I'm like, wow. <laughs> this guy, they, they, they threw some harmonica in, too. Nothing bad about this. I already love this album. I already put it in the playlist, by the way. So, you know, what did you think about it? Yeah, you know, I love good harmonica. Now, there is such a thing as bad harmonica, but this was good. And, you know, like you said, this album started off really strong, but it didn't get any worse. You know, it just kept getting more and more enjoyable as it went on. So, yeah, this was another good one. Yes. I mean, I can already tell everyone, check out Taste on the Boards. I, I don't think you'll be disappointed, but I'm going to keep going. Uh, Morning Sun. Once again, blues, you know, uh, imagine that, but more subdued at first, but it builds maybe where they get the progressive blues, blues from, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I put on here great guitar work, but this guy is a great guitarist, so yeah, I wouldn't expect anything less, and it just seemed like a very solid song. It's in the middle of everything. It, this probably ended side one of the uh the album and they're going to decide to so you know like like with that thought in mind i understood the placement of it a little bit more um i didn't know what you thought about it though yeah um it kind of seemed to flow naturally for me from the previous one and that might just be because i was listening to this while i was at work so i was doing other things but I couldn't necessarily say that the previous track ended here and, you know, Morning Sun started here. They just seemed to meld together for me. So, you know, it was good. I enjoy it when an album does that. And, like I say, I, I do as well. And I think this, this album does flow really well. And I, I may be wrong on the cutoff point, but I do believe that probably this, this was the end of side one. Because going into side two, a little different. You know, it's still going to be blues, but he introduces yet another playing style. The, the title of this track is called Eat My Words, and I only made what, one note on here. Slide guitar. Nuff said. That sold it for me. Um, you know, you know how they originally, like when they first, I don't want to say they, People that invented slide guitar, do you know what they used to, to play slide guitar? 
they would break a bottle off and use the glass end for the slide. That's that that's originally sense. that's originally what they used, and it's yeah. I can hear like you know an old blues guy doing that. It, this this track was awesome. Uh, I mean the slide guitar. I'm biased because I love it, but it just takes a special guitarist to be able to pull that off with all this other stuff. And once again, I may be Rory Gallagher's biggest fan at this point. So, what did you think about it? Yeah, I really have nothing more to add. I think you've said it all. Like you said, slide guitar. I'm a huge fan. I thought it was good. Well, I'm going to go to the next one. And that's On the Boards. Well, this is the title track of the album. You know, not every, you know, not every album will have a title track. But, I mean, this one does. Um, this one more laid back, more of a relaxed, chill vibe. The saxophone came in once again, which I really liked. I thought it helped add to the atmosphere and the music and give it a, a fuller, more, you know, balanced out sound. You know, what did you think about it? Yeah, um, this one didn't stand out to me at first. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't one of the standouts, but... It's growing on me. I've actually listened to this album three times already. And every time I listen to it, I like this one a little more. So that's a good thing. I, I thought it was interesting that it is the, the title track. Because I thought What's Going On should be the title track to this album. I think it is the... I mean, maybe because it is so similar to Cream, they didn't want to do that. But... I thought it was an odd choice to be the title track because it's a little different to some of the the vibe of a lot of the other songs. It just seems like it's in the middle of everything. It's not bad. It's, it's just more laid back. Even the guitar playing in it was more laid back. You know, it's just more subdued. And I don't know. It was just a different, it was a whole different vibe for me with this one. But I mean, it was good. But I'm gonna go to the next one. Yeah, I didn't make a whole lot of notes about this song. It's if I don't cry, if I don't sing, I'll cry. Um, I put just great blues music. Just that's all, really it, it didn't stand out or anything for me. But that doesn't mean it was weak. It just it's just great blues music. Maybe not as solid as like some of the other songs on the album, but still probably a B plus for me. Yeah. What did you think about it? Yeah, it was actually one of my favorites on the album. So, And I think that is because it was really heavy on the bluesiness. And you know, maybe I was just in that mood when I listened to it. But yeah, I really like this one. Maybe not as much as What's Going On or Railway and Gun. But still, it's probably up there in my top three. Alright, well... Um, like I say, I liked it. It's just like it's just great blues music. It just maybe because I like blues music, I don't have to. I can just listen to blues music. I don't even have to know who it is or anything. Like this would, I would be fine with this being on. You know, even if I didn't know it was Taste on the boards, you know, off that album, I'd be fine with it. But I just uh, like I say, it didn't stand out. It might have been because of what's going on was so solid, and it might have been because the next track had more influence so uh, I'm gonna go into it it's called see here and once again 
more cream influence creeping back in here. Maybe, maybe like once again, that dairy-free vibe a little bit. The lyrics were poetry-like almost in this song. I, like It was a little different vibe to it, but I, I liked it. <laughs> it was it was different than the other ones though. Like what did you feel about it? Yeah, how did you feel? Yeah, it was a little bit different. Um, it's still a strong inclusion. I think the album finishes maybe not quite as strong as it started, but it still finishes strong. But yeah, I do love the cream influence. So I like that they kind of brought it back in near the end of the album. I, th I think they were trying to go full circle with that sound a little bit. Maybe that's why they brought it in like that. But uh, the last song on this album I thought was pretty solid. It's called I'll Remember. And I put, they're bringing it back up to close the album. Because the, the track before it was, it did have that poetry-like lyrics. It was a little bit more subdued. So they're kind of bringing it back a little bit. You know, they're bringing it up. And it was still really bluesy still i mean it was a solid track wasn't my favorite on the album um, but usually the last track on an album isn't my favorite for the most part and you know maybe that might be you know whoever had the same you know thinking you know the same opinion as that i do maybe they arranged the album they're trying to put what they felt were the weaker you know not as impactful songs at the end because maybe you don't make it that far into it you know yeah. yeah, I thought exactly the same. Typically. People are, people are drinking. I'm coming from a journalism standpoint. <laughs> well, people... Coming from a journalism standpoint, yeah. you, know, you use the reverse pyramid. You put your strongest stuff at the beginning and your weakest at the end. And again, it's still a solid choice. It's not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not one of the better ones on the album either. So taste on the boards once again <laughs> four and a half stars probably as close to five as i could get didn't give it five i did not give this album five but if i were given three quarter stars it would get four and three quarter stars because rory gallagher i didn't know about you before but i do now and i'm gonna look more into you so i highly recommend everyone check out taste on the boards because it is a very solid album. And if you don't like blues, you might by the time you get done with the album. So, what did you think? Yeah, you know, it's, it's blues and it's rock, and I love both of those things. I am... I'm going to be a little more generous than you, and I'm just going to go ahead and give it five stars. Because like I said, I have listened to it three times already in maybe three days. So... I really like it, and I have recommended it to people already, and they also enjoy it. Well, spoiler alert, I saved the five stars for the next album. So, I'm just going to go ahead and let everybody know right now, this next album, it came out January 1st, 1970. This next album was the best album that came out January 1st, 1970, in my opinion, of course. It's a little shorter, though, than the, the previous album we just talked about. Uh, it's Stone the Crows, self-titled album. Stone the Crows, Stone the Crows. Um, did you have you ever heard of Stone the Crows? I hadn't until now. 
The only thing I knew about Stone the Crows, and I don't even remember how I knew about it, there's a, an inf, um, a connection to the band Wings with McCartney. And that's all I know. I don't remember the exact connection, but I, I did remember that. And a little bit about Stone the Crows. <laughs> They're a Scottish blues rock band. <laughs> I mean, you don't hear that every day. They do have a bit of a sad history. Uh, it was a little sad reading about it. I mean, they had problems like any band. They had break, you know, they broke up, a couple members left. But one of their founding members was electrocuted while they had a concert. There's a guitarist. Um, Les Harvey, actually. I mean, no one probably knows the name. I mean, they're not as well-known in the music scene. Sadly so, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, evidently in the middle of this concert, or like the, the, the crowd had damaged a cable, and they thought they had fixed it, but they didn't get it grounded properly. And it just electrocuted him there right on stage. And they, like... People tried to save him. They were getting shocked and everything. It was a pretty, a pretty, you know, a bad scene. So it was, it was sad for this band. That was later on in their history, but just something to throw out there. But I do want to give one more name out there, Maggie Bell. Uh, that's the female in this album. The her vocals. Uh, I'm gonna throw it out there, and I'm gonna probably hurt a lot of people's feelings. Janice, who? I'm sorry. She is just as good as Janis Joplin. Uh, it, like, very solid. Um, James Dewar is the male vocals. He actually left the band later on. But this, and he's here for this album. Uh, this is a very, very progressive album. It's, it is blues, but it is progressive. And I want this on vinyl. Uh, if anyone has a copy... And they want to donate it, and there you go. Maybe we can get some compensation in order. But, um, you know, I've already hyped it up enough. But, like, first reaction to this album, what did you think about it before we even start going into the tracks? Because there's not that many. There's not that many, and I'll probably just let you focus on them mostly, because I didn't enjoy it quite as much as you. I thought it was okay. But I wasn't really overly impressed with this one. I felt like something was missing from most of the songs. So, I feel like they are heavy on the blues. And I think that Stone the Crows had potential. But for me, they just didn't quite reach it. Well, I'm going to start. Um, the first track is The Touch of Your Loving Hand. <laughs> My first notes. Yes, in all caps. Uh, blues sound. Once again, it had a, a slightly stripped down sound, but I put a great start to the album and it did start, uh, I don't want to say a little slow, but like I said, slightly stripped down. So they're going to build up. So this is progressive and I feel like that, that this whole album was progressive. Like they, they made the album like that, like this track started a little slow and it starts to build a little bit but it doesn't build a whole lot it's stripped down maybe a little more subdued but the next track starts getting more up tempo so I, I think that's probably what, what they were going for they were building it like that uh, you know people don't listen to albums like that now for the most part you just listen to singles 
So I think you have to listen to this whole album, at least side one, as a whole, to get the, the full impact. And maybe you didn't. <laughs> so I'm gonna go the next. Well, I'm gonna go the next track, and it's um, raining in uh, raining in your heart. I put it's very up tempo, uh, <laughs> more of a, a head nodding, get up and move vibe. Uh, uh, both voices were soulful in it. I, I put I, I love this uh, Janice who, you know she's a a solid Janice Joplin light. If you if I if everyone wants to even love Janice Joplin, I thought her vocals were great in this. So yeah, I did really like Maggie Bell's voice. I will say that, and I also made a note that she is reminiscent of Janice Joplin. I don't think she is as good as Janice, but I. To me, she's kind of somewhere in between Janis Joplin and Ann Wilson of Heart. I got a little bit of both of those, just a little bit less gravelly than Janis. Yeah, I can see that. And also, Janis is by herself, and maybe Maggie Bell was holding back a little bit. She didn't want to overshadow James Dewar. You know, maybe that's what was happening why James Dewar decided to leave the band. Maybe it's like, well, damn, you know. That's my one, my one uh, curse word in the episode. Might to keep it PG, guys. I'm reserving it for this album. <laughs> I'm gonna go to the next track though. Um, the next track's "Blind Man," my favorite track on the album. I'm gonna lay it out there right now. Another great song. The acoustic guitar was was great in it. Um, very balanced blues in it, for, in my opinion. The vocals were outstanding. Uh, this one's already on my playlist, so you know. What did you think about Blind Man? You know, you didn't love this album as much as I did, so. Yeah, I, again, it was okay. It wasn't like my favorite song now, but it probably is the best one on the album, so I will agree on that. Yeah. I don't really have anything more to say about it. Well, the next track, I didn't know if you knew who actually arranged him. I don't want to say yes. produced it, but they're credited on this track. It's A Fool on the Hill and maybe a couple guys by the name of John Lennon and Paul McCartney. <laughs> uh, my comment, the only thing I wrote on here, once again, Janice Light, maybe. You know, Maggie Bell's vocals carried this song, in my opinion. Um, I really liked it. Um, I, like I said, I, I see the arc and the progression in this album, and I don't want to say I understand where they were going with it, but I can kind of see in a way, especially going into to the, the side two, the way they did. So I didn't know what you know. You say like I say, you didn't care for it as much as I did, but you know, what did you think about the Lennon McCartney influence on it? Well, it, it disappointed me a little. I had high hopes for it because I love the original. I'm a huge Beatles fan, and Fool on the Hill is a great song. I didn't expect to like it as much as the original, and I didn't. <laughs> it wasn't bad. I've definitely heard worse Beatles covers. I'll say that. See. But. This is where I'm going to hurt a lot of people's feelings. Beatles are overrated. I put it out there. I'm sorry, guys. I like the Beatles. 
but a lot of their stuff is silly. A lot of their stuff is terrible. Some their hits and, and things are good, but if you try, if we try to just listen to all the Beatles albums, and <laughs> I'm glad I don't. I already have. I, I actually did that because I was trying to get into all the Beatles, and I do like it. But I tried to listen to all of their stuff. Don't. Don't. That's my advice. Don't. Because you're going to be disappointed in a lot of times. <laughs> in, in this stuff. A little like Pink Floyd. A little like Pink Floyd. Don't listen to everything. I'm just going to put it out there. You know. But I thought uh, these four tracks. Because there's only four tracks on this side one of this album. This is the first time it did denote that there was a side one, side two in the, the notes. Everything that I was that I was reading. So that was interesting too. But I, I did like the progression in tracks one through four on this album. But going into side two, it's a weird track. Side like there's only one song on, on track, you know, on side two of this of this album. And it's I Saw America. This is seventeen minutes and twenty one seconds song. The original tool, <laughs> um, both male and female vocals are equal in this song. It has a anti-war vibe to it. I believe this has a purpose. This song is more political and everything. I believe it has a deeper meaning than just music. So it ha it does have a folksy, bluesy vibe, but the su the subject matter was heavy <laughs> it had a heavy feel to it and but I, I did like how the organ carried the song through it did help it ride a little bit and you know I liked the little bits of what I called controlled chaos because some in, in parts of the song there are bits of just noise I don't want to say noise but it's controlled chaos like they're just they're doing it to shake things up a bit it, it gives it adds to the um, the heaviness and the uh, the anxiety because they are talking about things that will make you anxious and it's a very heavy <laughs> you know that that's i think that's why they use that controlled chaos in it um it was a nice thoughtful jam uh i, I did make a note 10 minutes and 20 seconds in there was there were weird sounds that i want to find out how you know what they used to make those sounds because this was a long time ago because you know 1970 they didn't have computers really or anything like that so I would be really interested in knowing how they came up with some of these sounds you know more of a Foley effect per se now, I don't know but, but like I say it's not a track that I would recommend anyone listen to for enjoyment this one but it is a very important song I do feel uh, like they're, they're really trying to get a message out there like what did, how did what did you think about it yeah I can appreciate that the important message I did not listen to the whole side <laughs> I made a note you know it's 17 minutes long and it's not that good <laughs> but I can accept that they had a message but it is definitely harder and more experimental and I have problems with noise, just noise sometimes. Mm -hmm. It just makes me cringe, 
And that was the effect that I saw America had on me. It just kind of made me cringe, and I had to turn it off. And I think that's what they were going for. You know it, and you got You have to yeah, think. Maybe so. These are Scottish blues rockers who probably did come to America and everything. Maybe that was their impression of America at the time. Maybe America needs to look a little bit more about what the, how the world's impression of them is, and not be so ethnocentric or, or you know, something like in, in that fashion. You know, all, all stars and stripes. I don't know. Maybe we need to think more toward a worldview. But this was 1970, yeah. and that people were already talking about that. So maybe we need to start paying attention. <laughs> I will say, for me, the message kind of got lost in the... You called it the anxiety of it. Yeah. And for me, it was just... It was unenjoyable enough that I couldn't really focus on the message. And it could have been one long, drug-fueled haze for them too we don't know this was 1970 it was 1970 so all right well that was january 1st we're gonna go to january 3rd and i'm not looking forward to this i knew i've already heard this album before so this wasn't a fair first reaction because a lot of these are first reactions for from for me but i knew about this album i was dreading going into this because i love pink floyd and like that's probably one of my absolute favorite bands um i'm just gonna go ahead this is sid barrett the madcap laughs this is sid's debut solo album he recorded it after he left pink floyd um he left pink floyd he was replaced he didn't leave well he did leave but it, he started displaying a lot of like erratic behavior on stage and like just being unreliable in concert and he would just stop playing in the middle of the concert or detune his guitar and just mess around and just mess stuff up deliberately i think he had a mental break i don't know if it was due to the lsd that's a lot of the stories you know i mean everyone knows lsd and pink floyd are kind of synonymous so maybe he took too many psychedelics and he had a psychedelic break and this is a very sad, sad story, in my opinion, uh, because I believe Sid Barrett was a, a artistic genius before he had all his problems. But um, this album, for me, was very hard to get through, and I, I didn't know what you thought about it. I will throw out the interesting little bit tidbit of trivia there the madcap laughs actually wasn't the, the title it was supposed to be the mad cat laughs but uh gilmore uh misheard him when uh when he said it so that's what they went with because this album was just thrown together because of his behavior uh david gilmore if everyone doesn't know was brought into pink floyd when sid barrett started disp displaying all this erratic behavior uh, they brought him in as a second guitarist originally. You know, that's all they brought him in as. And he was just good and, you know, a true artist to his craft. It was the best decision that Pink Floyd ever made in their entire lives, in my opinion. And, uh, I mean, I've, you know, like put that out there to other Pink Floyd fans and they feel so as well. But this is a sad story. But 
I guess we can go through. What did you think about it going into it? You know, a little bit. I was also familiar with the story. You know, I also love Pink Floyd, and I knew who Sid Barrett was and how he had left the band. And I agree. It is very sad. It's heartbreaking. But I was kind of dreading this because I did know, you know that he had the possible mental illness that had you know, caused him to be kicked out of the band. And so I thought, you know, he didn't really have any success on his own. There's probably a reason for that. So I wasn't looking forward to this album, but I was interested in it because I hadn't heard it before. I did notice that both David Gilmore and Roger Waters were involved in producing the album, um, but there was some controversy about their work. Well, well, they were trying to help him. They were still trying to help yeah. him till the end because they loved him, but. You know, they just, I mean, it was a different time. Mental illness was treated differently. You know, they didn't know as much about it, but uh, they didn't know how to, to deal with him at all. From what I've, I mean, everything I've read, I couldn't have done it either. There's no way. And you can, you can see, as far as Pink Floyd stuff, that they're masters of their craft and they work hard. And they can't deal with someone, you know, that, that's, you know, that's not reliable when they're trying to put out, invest in all that studio time and all that into it. You know, I mean, it, it was the 70s, but studio time was still expensive. So, and valuable. A lot of bands only got to come in for one album because they didn't, they didn't make the most of it. So, and I think they understood that. So, and, and I believe that's, that's what happened. And a lot of it was Sid Barrett just didn't yeah. want to do it. He did, but he didn't. I believe he had... I think he yeah, was bipolar I, in a lot of ways. I believe he was bipolar, and I think he had a lot of a psychological break. Like, I think the psychedelics, he did it too much. That was just my, my opinion. He's washed out. Yeah, I don't think Pink Floyd really had a choice. It was either kick him out or just stop. Well, I'm going to go ahead and go into it. Like I say, we've, we've dreaded it up enough, but... Uh, the, the first track is Terrapin. Um, it, it's acoustic guitar strumming. It, it does have a... I wrote a slightly hypnotic stream of consciousness type lyrics. There were a lot of blatant mistakes in it, especially during your chord changes. It's... It's okay. I, I'm, I'm being kind. But it, it, it's okay. Don't judge this with Pink Floyd. Don't like put it alongside of Pink Floyd. Just put it by itself. It's his project, so it's not it's not Pink Floyd. But what what did you think about Terrapin? Yeah, about the same. It's okay. It just there's nothing really outstanding about it. It is very I'm gonna say poetic. I think he considered himself a poet. And it's very artsy. Yeah, I can I can see that. But it, like I say, it just it just it's okay. <laughs> um, like the next track, "No Good Trying," it does sound different than Terrapin. It has more of a psychedelic sound. Uh, it has a full band arrangement. Even though the mix is not great in my opinion, you you don't hear them as well as I think you should. I just wasn't feeling it. It just seemed listless. 
low energy, low effort, just nothing. It made me feel terrible. Like I, I don't want to feel like a, a chore to listen to something. And I felt like listening to it would be just because if you loved this guy and wanted to support him, you would listen to it like, man, yeah, if you need any help, just let me know. But it, I just thought it was not not great. You know, what did you think about it? Yeah, I think listless is a good word for most of, at least the first half of the album, actually. I kind of felt that way for the first several songs. Well, I just... it's, it's funny that you say that because, like, the next track, Love You, I put, like, it was more upbeat and happy. It had a bouncy melody. Um, there was a music hall style piano in it, so that maybe stood out a little bit for me. Um, it was odd. Now, don't get me wrong, but this, I'm, I, you know, this is Sid Barrett we're talking about who was a little odd. So, um, it was like Love You was better than No Good Trying, in my opinion, but still just disjointed and a very just listless, low energy, low effort vibe. It, it, like, I don't know. I, I just wasn't feeling this really either. So the, the, like this far, this this album was becoming a chore for me. But I cannot recommend yeah. anyone listen to this so far. At least these first three tracks, so far, don't, don't even bother. Don't don't compare it to Pink Floyd. Yeah. Don't compare it to Pink to Pink Floyd. Don't compare it to Pink Pig. Don't listen to it. <laughs> None of it. <laughs> what do you think about it? I mean. Yeah, I, you know, when I say listless, I just kind of feel like. He was kind of phoning it in. I'm sure he didn't feel that way, but that's how it came across. It just didn't feel like he was entirely there. And you know, knowing the story, he probably wasn't. And, and that's probably what happened. So, like I say, it, it, it was. I was feeling really sad at this point into the album. But like going to the next track, No Man's Land, it had had. Uh, really good rhythm and bass. Uh, I put it was the best vocals so far. Uh, I like the heavy distortion that he used on the guitar. Uh, you know, so far, I would say this one is the best track on the album. No Man's Land. It wasn't great, but you know the bar was low. But this is the best track so far, in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't make any additional notes about. This one, yeah, it's just so. it's just it's just there. Now, now the now the next track yeah. we're going into um, it was produced by Gilmore and Waters. Uh, this Dark Globe, and it's a strummed acoustic guitar. Um, the lyrics were dramatic, like desperate almost. I felt like uh, Sid Barrett is describing his mental state in this song, and it was sad. Like I I felt like he's crying out for help in this uh, what I mean did you, what did you notice about it did you, did you get that too maybe you felt trapped in a dark globe yeah 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 I, I would agree with that I, I think sad is a good word to describe the whole album but especially this song but yeah it, the whole thing just felt I just felt so bad for him yeah that's like so far you would just listen to this album as sympathy 
And that's that's sad for yeah. a, a, he is a true artist. Don't get me wrong, Sid Barrett was. With, with, even with Pink Floyd, he had good music. But this is not with Pink Floyd, and this is not good. But I'm gonna go to the next next track, and that's Here I Go. This was the last track on side one. Um, it's a 50s style ballad, English pop. It has the that typical very dry vocals that you would get from the English pop from the 50s. Uh, this album was all over the place. That's that was the note that I put. Like, this is a track that does, sounds nothing like any of this. And when you read the story about all the trouble recording all these tracks, they're recorded at different times, different places. It makes sense, but you know you're not going to know that going in just trying to listen to music. You know, it it does not it it does not fit at all. I didn't think. Well, I mean, what did you think about it? Yeah, but like you said, that makes sense. When you when you look it up, it took like five years for this to be you know, completely finished, and they had several different producers working on it, so it does make sense that it would be disjointed that way, but but yeah, it, the whole thing was just kind of, I hate to use the word schizophrenic, but it was. That's the best word all, I can come all, up with. All over the place. It was potpourri. How about that? <laughs> this album was potpourri. Yes. There were some good bits. Not very many, but there are some good. Um, I'm just going to go to side two. And side two was actually the single that was released for this album. And it's Octopus. It's light and melodic. I actually kind of like this track. It's, it's not bad. I thought... Um, as far as the album's concerned, it probably was a good choice to be the, the song that came out as the quote-unquote single, but it wasn't great, but I, I did I did think it was okay. This probably was my favorite on the album. Like, what did you think about it? I thought I picked up across the this entire side of the album, I picked up on a little more of a almost a Beatles vibe. I hate to bring up the Beatles again, but <laughs> that's what it reminded me of. But not heavy. It was just very subtle. I did think that Octopus and the rest of Side 2 or Side B were better than the first side. Yeah, which is weird because usually your side, you know, normally your Side A or Side 1, whatever, is mostly all your good tracks. Inside two, you might have one or two tucked in, but like most of the tracks on side two are okay. Uh, I'm gonna like the next track, yeah. uh, "Golden Hair." This actually is, um, it's really psychedelic. It, he took it from the poet James Joyce uh, for the lyrics. He, it's this is actually just James Joyce's poetry. Uh, the vocals were distant and almost had a haunted vibe, like a feel to it, like. I don't know, but um, that's where all the lyrics came from. So it was, if it was more poetic, it seemed. That's because it is a poem. So that's where that's where he got golden hair from. I, I thought that was pretty interesting, and like you said, Sid Barrett did consider himself a poet. So this one was more artistic, but not in a bad way. Just in a different way, if I could, you know, describe it like that odd yeah. you know 
Yeah, I didn't know that about James Joyce, so I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that one again, knowing that. You know, I, I, I not if I if I remember correctly, it is his exact words in the poet in the poem, and I don't remember the exact poem he took it from because the the poem's not Golden Hair, I don't believe. I believe it's something else, but it's either you know he he I don't want to say he plagiarized it, but he used it as his solid influence. Uh, you know that's where he got it from, which I thought that was pretty cool. Like you don't hear that very often, you know, poet have an influence on, you know, your, you know, your rock artists. You know, they're they're a lot of times they're not poets. So, but Sid Barrett once again, odd. <laughs> so but I'm gonna call the next track, and it's uh, Long Gone. I put on here, very good acoustic. It's very melodic. Um, it it almost has a country folksy feel to the verses the 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 chorus the chorus is more artistic it has that beatles kind of folksy feel to it i agree you know, i didn't say write down beatles but when i wrote down country folksy-esque type feel to it you know this would be a british country folksy-esque feel so that's yeah that's where uh yeah i, I can see that i can see that that connection too what did you think about it? I didn't write down any extra notes on this one. For me, this was just another one that was just kind of there. It was long gone, huh? So. <laughs> I <laughs> he, guess so. He titled that one correctly. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to the next one, though. Uh, it's, she took a long, cold look. <sighs> I'm going to sigh before I even talk about it. I put rambling in a bad way. Because there are rambling in a good way. Trust me. <laughs> I put um, the album starting to take a downturn in quality. Right here. This is where it, the, the, it starts to come off the rails. That I didn't even know. You know, because I haven't listened like in a long time. I don't believe I made it all the way through. The first time I listened to this album. Because it made me so sad. Because so, of Pink Floyd. Oh man. One of the guys from Pink Floyd has a solo album. I have to hear it now to see how much like Pink Floyd it sounds. But I wrote on there, this is where the album takes a downturn. And it really got sad. What did you think? I actually completely disagree Ooh. with you. I thought that She Took a Long Cold Blue was the best one on the album. Um, I thought it was the most Beatles-esque. But even aside from that, it is the only one that... I enjoyed at all, really. That's, I hate that's to say why that. It's terrible because it sounds like the Beatles. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it is not terrible. No, I'm corny and overrated. I'm not gonna say. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that it's good. <laughs> but in the context of this album, it's good. Yeah, well, it's good compared to what's coming up next. I will give you that. Uh, the next out, the next track on this album, "Feel," is the title. It should be "No Feeling." Yeah, I don't know. Uh, weird start to this song. There's studio chatter. There's mistakes, like like something you would normally cut out. Um, the one good thing about it, I put, he used good reverb on his guitar at certain points. Um, other than that, I don't know. It just seemed like. They didn't finish it. It just seemed like whatever. Just put it on. Yeah, especially that they left the studio chatter in it. So it was trash from the start in my opinion. So that's all I can say about Phil. I, I will trash trash. 
No stars. No stars. You get no stars when you leave studio chattering and mistakes. I am a perfectionist. You know so and how many albums do I have? None, but if I had an album you can guarantee it would not have that stuff at the start of any song. So I don't know. Yeah. It just I would say this is where it starts going off the rails, is with feel. And like you said, no yeah. feeling. I mean, the next song, if it's in you, it wasn't in him. Uh, more studio BS at the beginning. Just very off-tune key. The key was off. Just my least favorite track right here. I, I, I could, did not listen to this whole track. I didn't listen to all of Feel either, but I listened to more of Feel than I did this one. I skipped it. Uh, it was it. Yeah, and these are both short I was songs, getting, too. I was almost angry. <laughs> <laughs> Hopping in the mic. Sorry, yeah. guys. I <clears throat> cut that out. But, uh, <laughs> um, it just, like I said, that that studio chatter at the beginning irritated me so much it took me out of the song. I knew it was not going to be a good song because the professionalism wasn't there. So I'm just going to go to the last track, and oh, it's called Late Night. The only thing I can write I, I wrote on here was absolutely terrible. And and sad, and very sad. I mean, what what did you think about it? The way it closed. Yeah, I didn't write anything in particular about this song, but yeah, I thought those last three songs, the whole album would have been better if they had just left those off. Not that the album was good anyway, but those three just really ended on a terrible note. So I I don't recommend that album to anybody. I gave that album a two and a half star rating. It it really deserves less. But I tried to take his mental state into account. And, you know, because, you know, honestly, it's it's really a zero star for me. I don't like anything about it hardly. I I just don't. But I'm going to give him two and a half stars just because, because I love, I love Pink Floyd and, I love that he was a poet, and I just think he went off the rails. I think something happened, and I can't, I can't judge that against him. But I think it was a lot of it's unprofessional. So that's all. That's where I'm going to leave it. Two and a half stars for uh, Sid Barrett. So don't I don't recommend that album. But we're gonna we're gonna no. It's just, it just ugh, terrible. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. No, it just really felt like something was missing. And for me, I don't know, maybe it was David Gilmore's bendy guitar music, but it's just, it's a sad story. And I appreciate Sid Barrett's influence, but I have to say that Pink Floyd was better without him. Yeah, I can agree. Well, we're going to go into something a little, uh, a little different, so to speak. (laughs) Completely different than Sid Barrett. Uh, this album came out January 5th, so we're getting further into the week here, guys. Um, this is Loretta Lynn, Wings Upon Your Horns. Um, I'm not a country fan. I'll throw it out there. Um, a country... I appreciate certain country songs. Uh, actually, this album's not bad. Um, this is, surprisingly, Loretta Lynn's 15th studio album... <laughs> I, I couldn't believe that 
but that just means that she put out a lot of albums. Maybe not all of them are great. Just because you release a studio album doesn't mean it's good. Sid Barrett released a studio album. I don't know. I may have to go back and see how they compare. But Wings Upon Your Horns, um, I want to say I try to go into it with an open mind. I do like some country. So, you know, old country usually uh, much better than, well, no, and I'm not going to say much, like, much better. It is always better than the new country. So, say that the old man in me talking, I don't know, but it's just true. It's fact. But I'm just going to just go right into this one because <laughs> Wings Upon Your Horns, like I said earlier, should be, you know, it's your first track on your album typically, most of the time. Well, Wings Upon Your Horns, first song. Um, classic country. This almost has a gospel type country vibe. Uh, it's it's classic sound. Uh, classic Loretta Lynn. If if you listen to any Loretta Lynn, uh, she doesn't isn't doesn't stray, you know, very far from the formula that is Loretta Lynn music. But um, I did like it, and you know, I did appreciate it for what it was. So. And if, if there's a certain controlled chaos going on over here with me, that's because my uh, lapdog Pitbull has decided he wants to join the podcast. So, what, what did you think about, um, you know, Wings Upon Your Horns? Yeah, like you said, it, it sounds like Loretta Lynn. It is exactly what I expected from her. It's, it's good enough. I'm not a huge Loretta Lynn fan, but I like her okay. I enjoy older country. But yeah, it's just, it is. It, it was a little racy. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It, 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 it does deal with that subject matter that you wouldn't think. Because the sound, it does have that gospel-y, like the sound of it. It has that gospel almost kind of sound, but the, the subject matter, not so much. So, but I mean, wings upon your horns. So maybe that, that was intentional that it has the gospel sound. Don't know. Maybe it was clever. You know, I think Loretta Lynn's probably pretty clever. It's her 15th album. But we'll see. I'm going to go to the next one. And that's uh, When I Reach the Bottom. I wrote once again. It's classic country. I like the back, backing vocals in this. Um, it's classic country with a little bit of soul. <laughs> it's, it's white people's soul. <laughs> I could say that because I'm a white person with a little bit of soul. No, um, like seriously, all jokes aside, um, the backing vocals did give it that little bit of extra I think that it needed. Now, what did you think about it? Yeah, um, I didn't like it as well as Wings Upon Your Horns, but it was okay. You know, it was just a typical classic country song with a little bit of soul because that is kind of Loretta Lynn's thing. Now, on this next track, uh, it was weird. It was, I don't want to say weird, Just it just seemed odd that you would even want to sing about it. That's sad. It, it's called uh, This Stranger, My Little Girl. This deals with growing up and growing apart in a mother-daughter relationship. And, I, I mean, maybe because I'm not a mother or a daughter. Or, I mean, I have a daughter. I don't want to hear about someone 
sad about growing apart from their daughter and everything. So, what did you feel? How did you feel about it being a a daughter with a mother? <laughs> like, like, what did you think about this? It just was it. not my thing. So, I felt like she was trying a little too hard with this one, and I never quite got what she was going for. Like, it was almost like she was trying for it to be some sweet song about the love between a mother and a daughter, but the lyrics weren't yeah, that. Yeah, it was dreary. So, I, I think it's the worst track yeah. on the album thus far. I, I mean, that's not saying it's bad, it just wasn't my style. It wasn't my feel. So, yeah, I didn't I'm gonna go it. the next one, and that's I Only See the Things I Want to See. Like, her um, titles are very wordy as well. <laughs> the the songs are short, but the titles are wordy. That's one thing I've noticed with Loretta Lynn. Uh, once again, classic country sound. Uh, this could be, I put it could be from the 50s or 60s. It sounds old. This this song. It sounded older than the other other songs so far, in my opinion. So I think she may have recorded this one. You know, like uh, maybe worked on something like this a little before this, but I don't, I don't know that to be true, but. It just does an older sound, in my opinion. Like, what do you think about it? Yeah, this is the type of thing that I expect from Loretta Lynn. It sounded just... It, yeah. It's just hurt. Um, but it was frustrating to me. Because the song is about staying with... <laughs> a bad guy because you can't bear to leave him. I know. <laughs> that drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Like, the, the the lyrics are weird. This was a, a weird time, I think. I don't know. I mean, this is a lot before the, the women, like, a lot of the women's rights movements and everything, you know? This was just starting. This was just gaining, a lot of that was gaining traction. So you have to take that into account, too. And... Well, but you have to also take into account Loretta Lynn coming from Kentucky and everything from that part of Kentucky is probably, I believe, Pentecostal, you know, so they are more tra traditional, <laughs> so to speak. We'll just leave it at that. So, I mean, from her perspective, it, yes, from a more modern, yes, but you, you're looking at it from your modern eyes. <laughs> no, it's not just that. She always makes me feel a little bit conflicted. Yeah. Like, I guess it's realistic, but it's frustrating because she's kind of known for her sassiness and her strength, and she has that. But then she you know, sings about not being able to live without her man, even if he's cheating on her. But then going into the very next song... It's the complete opposite. I know, like, uh, <laughs> so. She's singing about everything. Uh, the next song is If You Handle the Merchandise. I put classic Loretta Lynn. Uh, this country wife is going to leave a cheating husband. That's what basically the effect of it. I, I like the wah effect that they use on the guitar. I don't know that it, be, it would be a, was a wah. They, a wah pedal. But it is a pedal that they used on the guitar. And I wasn't familiar with it being in a country song at that point in time so that did stand out to me so I, I like that in it and I like this song <laughs> this one was better way better than the other one than the, the one before it 
I agree. Yeah. I agree. I enjoyed this one a lot more. And it turns out this one was actually written by her sister. Yeah, maybe she needs to let her sister write a little bit more for her. <laughs> maybe she should. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to go to the next one. Uh, moving along. Oh, gosh. This one's called I'm Dynamite. But I put doesn't sound very dynamite. Uh, sleepy song. My least favorite so far. I'm not convinced that she's dynamite by her, how she's trying to present that she's dynamite. So she needs to do a little more convincing. Maybe she has to put dynamite in my face. Maybe I'm oblivious. But what did you think about I'm dynamite? <laughs> no, I thought the same. We've heard that Loretta Lynn can be more dynamic than this. So I thought that this one kind of fell flat. She could have done a lot more with it than she did. And I thought it was a flat way to end side one to the album. Because this was the last song on side one. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to flip the record over and go to the big old hurt. I like the title. It's, you know, got the big old hurt. Um, I actually like this one. It was a good uh, open to track or to side two. It's, once again, it's always, I'm going to put classic country. I might as well just, you know, that should be a given. But it does have that sound. This one, I put it could be a Patsy Cline song. You know, I like the guitar work a lot in this song. I don't want to say Patsy. I think Patsy Cline could probably sing this song. And maybe has sang a song very similar to it. But uh, that was the, the vibe of this one I got. Now, this is Loretta Lynn, but... It did have that that feel to it. It was a little little different than some of the other ones, it, just in my opinion. But what what did you think about it? Yeah, I didn't catch that at the time, but now that you mention it, I can hear that. I'll have to go back and listen to it again. Right. I I was kind of neutral on this one. It wasn't bad. It wasn't great. It was just standard yeah. for Loretta. Well, the next track well, I thought was interesting because it was actually written by Merle Haggard. I like Merle Haggard. Um, you know, big fan. Dad was a big fan of Merle Haggard. So from that that uh, alone, I have to give big props to Merle Haggard. And uh, This song is called I'd Rather Be Gone. And the piano was different in this song. Uh, you know, the, the fact that it was in there. It has a different vibe it might be because it was a Merle Haggard song uh, the drummer the drumming was very simple though I that's my big complaint with most country music is they just keep time that's all he's doing you could use a metronome tick 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 well we're using four four time guys you don't even need me here you know but uh, that was my one complaint if I'm having to pick it apart the, the, the vocals were very strong it is Loretta Lynn the backing vocals were strong. I thought they played off, you know, between one another well. So I actually really like this one. Side two so far was was starting really well for me. So it was strong, it's, you know. So what did you think about it? Yeah, I enjoyed this one. Um, I did look up the track listing ahead of time on this album, so I knew ahead of time that it was Merle Haggard, and I expected to enjoy it. Cause, like you said. I like him a lot. But yeah, I wasn't disappointed. So, I mean, so far, side two is been, had, you know, it is actually getting really strong. So I was excited going into it. But she did disappoint me a little bit with uh, the next track. It was called, You Wouldn't Know an Angel If You Saw One. 
I put that it sounded a lot like wings upon your horns. Uh, it was very similar. Nothing outstanding in it. Um, it wasn't bad. You know, I don't think Loretta Lynn writes anything bad. But it just wasn't, you know. It, it, I didn't listen to the whole thing. But it was the, one of the only ones. I listened to all this. Once again, all the songs are pretty short. So, you know, even if you don't, you know, it's not your favorite. It's not going to be around very long. <laughs> That's the one thing you can say about the Loretta Lynn stuff. So, you know, what do you, you know, what do you think about it, though? I thought it was kind of mediocre also. It wasn't bad, but I was expecting a lot more of the traditional Loretta Lynn sass, and it just didn't feel like it was there. Now, well, the next track is actually a cover. She's covering someone else in this track. I thought I was when I first heard it. Um, the title of the track is I'll Still Be Missing You. And the original artist is Warner Mack. And I like when I looked it up, I'm like, sounds familiar. But if, if you go back and look up Warner Mack, I'll Still Be Missing You, you will hear the original, and it's better than, her, than Loretta Lynn's cover of it. Loretta Lynn, does, she did an okay job with this but I don't know I do like the original better most time I do like the original better the cover you know not always but the cover I don't know her cover of it lacked the the fullness of the that the original presented that's all I can the only way I can term it you know what how did you feel about it do you know the original I did feel I don't I'll have to go find it and listen to it because I did feel like this one was lacking. It just didn't have anything really to grab me about it. I, I think it's probably because she it wasn't her song. Maybe you know she wasn't as inspired by it, and that that, that probably was it. A lot of times, artists like the next album we're going to talk about when if they're not inspired by something, then it's going to be terrible. It can be disastrous. So, but I'm I'm not going to delve into that yet because that's going to end this that's going to end this podcast on a low note and i don't want to do that yet so um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah the and that's a good point because she does write most of her yeah. own music and the ones that she doesn't write yeah. her sister so, writes, and, well, well the so. warner mac is it's old i think it's older uh 50s but it's a solid track like i really like it this one's eh, it's okay I, I probably i would rather listen to the original but I'm gonna, you know, I guess she closes the album out with "Let's Get Back Down to Earth." It's more upbeat. Uh, the lyrics could be true today. I like the piano and the guitar. Uh, I'm not gonna go in, you know, more into it. I want everyone to listen to that track and see how true the lyrics could be. Uh, the piano and guitar, once again, were good in it. Uh, it may be my favorite on the album. And I think it's probably really good in concert. I think she probably puts a uh, a good you know performance on on that song. But what did you think about it? I it wasn't my favorite. It wasn't bad, but it didn't impress me either. So it's another one that was just kind of meh for me. I actually gave Loretta three stars for that album uh, she does have better albums I have heard a little bit I know I haven't heard full Loretta Lynn albums but I've heard most and um, I think that's probably about 
her that's about her C plus grade you know if you're going for that she has a lot better stuff but she I think she has worse stuff as well because she has a lot of albums so but yeah. the 15th studio album there oh I've been not been looking forward to this last this last <laughs> album I've not been looking forward to this I really like Tony Bennett I do I will put it out there uh, this was released this was the end of the week what a bad way to end the week ladies and gentlemen January 7th 1970 this is Tony Sings the hits of today um Tony hated it <laughs> he the management I wanted him to do something more contemporary because album sales had started to decline they did this with a lot of artists back then um the only one I'm thinking of right now that's coming to mind would be Lena Horne. And they tried to make her do it. Um, oh, I can't remember. There was about four or five earlier that I was thinking of. But at this time, they you know they were like um, Mel Tomei. Stuff like that. You know, that lounge singer, jazz, you know, that old era music. Whatever you want to term it. Big band, whatever. Um, they were trying to make them more modernized because their album sales had dropped off and stuff like that and a lot of those artists were resistant to it once again if, if their soul wasn't in it and their heart wasn't in it then they're not going to perform it well some did some embraced it and reinvigorated their careers but a lot of people like Tony Bennett here it was a disaster uh, he actually got physically ill like nauseous before he started making this album right before he started singing it threw up <laughs> literally threw up so this gives you any indication of what we're going into um the, the cover of this album is really weird when you look at it compared to other tony bennett albums it's a psychedelic type cover he's wearing bell bottoms and a psychedelic necktie and it's just weird. It's weird to see Tony Bennett with that. And I, he didn't feel comfortable. It's not a comfortable album. Yeah. But I, let's just go ahead and get into it. <laughs> um, the first track is MacArthur Park. And um, this is not his. Once again, these are all covers. Nothing outstanding. Um, I think it's a movie song. Uh, it's originally Donna Summer. I looked it up. Because I knew MacArthur Park, I had heard of that before, but Donna, the Donna Summer version, <laughs> way better. Let's just we'll just say that. Um, oh, this this just it's just opened up terrible. Like, what did you think about the the, the first track? I hated it. <laughs> this it was completely unrecognizable. I mean, it was actually Richard Harris first. And I love that song. It has nice saxophone and it's jazzy and I don't know what happened, but the lyrics aren't even the same. <laughs> so I don't know. It was completely unrecognizable and it just really it was almost offensive. Yeah, I to wasn't me. I wasn't feeling it and it's going into this album, this already started <laughs> bad. Uh, the next track uh, something by George Harrison. I think we I think we all know him. 
<sighs> I put it was better than the first song. And that's all I said about it. That's all I said about it. I didn't say any bad criticism about the song. But you can just go ahead and, and we can go ahead and put it out there. 11 songs. There's going to be bad underlying criticism about every one of these songs. Every one of these songs are trash. I'm sorry, Tony Bennett. Tony Bennett fans, yeah. you have good music. But not this isn't it. And this is a low point in his career. And I agree that this is a low part point in his career. So, but I'm going to go to the next track. Yeah. I mean, it's called The Look of Love. This is a Burke Bacharach song. All I put was Z, 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 Z. <laughs> what did you think about The Look of Love? Yeah, I had a hard time keeping my eyes open. Yeah. yeah. If, I, if, that, if that's his... No. This, this whole well, album was... If that's his Look of Love... <laughs> Maybe he's trying to, you know, uh, I'm going to keep it PG. Maybe, he's, maybe maybe he wants to, like, you know, <laughs> maybe he likes you when you're sleepy. We'll, we'll go with that. Because <laughs> this was, that was terrible. It was dreary. It, yep. it was dreary. Tony Bennett is so much better than this. So. Um, yes. Yeah, I generally like Tony Bennett also, and so this was really disappointing. All right. I'm going to go to the next track. Um, actually, the next track is serviceable. I will give it that. This is Here, There, and Everywhere. <laughs> Lennon and McCarthy. Mm, once again. Hmm. I think I know those guys. Uh, this is a Beatles song done in a, a swing style, almost. It was an interesting arrangement. Um, I don't mind it. I didn't mind it. it. It wasn't great. Once again, this, all these songs are going to have an underlying negative <laughs> opinion in my, you know, from me. But this was the best song so far. Uh, I did like the they did it in a swing style. I like the arrangement. It was interesting and, and different, and maybe that's why I liked it. It was at least inoffensive. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the best I can say about most of these. No, the next track, I didn't know, like, I mean, I have the original artist here. I don't recognize these names. It's called Live for Life, and it's Norman Gimbel and Francis Lye. I don't know those names, but this song had a, uh, like, a big-time jet-set, like, atmosphere, uh, like a movie soundtrack, classic 50s type thing. Yeah, he did bring that out a little bit. Um, I, I felt like it would be in a, you know, like a nightclub type jet set. Like, you know, all the rich folks sitting around, like in the, the 50s movies or whatever. It had that vibe a little bit for me. I don't know where the original came from, but it wasn't a bad track. But I didn't, I didn't care for it. But, you know, maybe it's just because I thought the track before it was a little better. But I don't know. It was it was weird. What did you think about it? Yeah, about the same. I wasn't familiar with it before, which might kind of help because I don't have any preconceived notions about what the song should be. <laughs> yeah, that I noticed that too. Yeah, but... the, like the songs I know, like uh, one of them coming up here pretty soon. Well, they can it could be really good or what in the world? Why did you shatter this? But 
so <laughs> sneak peek no but um i'm just gonna go to the next one um it's called little green apples this is bobby russell um this is originally a ballad i did know this song it was interesting though it was a ballad and they turned it into swing i thought it was actually pretty good like i like the jazzy feel of the song uh the musicianship and was great in this song now like say tony bennett was a little weak in it yeah you know well you could tell his heart wasn't in it as much but with that being said i don't mind it it was like he termed inoffensive um yeah it, it was it was okay it was okay especially com- compared to what's coming up so what did you think about it I didn't care for this one. I mean, I didn't care for any of them, but it also might have something to do with the fact that I don't care for the original either, but this wasn't an improvement. It was maybe on the same level as the original, we'll say. I don't know. I like it better than the original, but I just mean, I just don't like the original. I don't like crab. I don't like, I don't like crab apples. I don't either. No. <laughs> the little green apples. Um... <laughs> I'm going to go to the next song, even though I don't want to talk about it. But once again, it's a terrible track to begin with. I already put it out there to you. Eleanor Rigby from the Beatles. It's just not right. This track was just not right. This track irritated me. It made me mad. I put the Beatles just need to stick to, they can keep their, their version of Eleanor Rigby. If you want to listen to Eleanor Rigby, pick the Beatles version. You don't want it here. Um... It's terrible. It was a huge miss. It had a spoken poetry type Shatner-esque, like William Shatner-esque, terrible vibe to it. Just, I don't know. Just all, all around, just the worst track in on the album, all by far, of any of these songs. That is the worst track on this album. So it just was terrible and stupid. What did you think about it? And this is the first time I've said stupid about any of this. But it sounded st- it sounded stupid. <laughs> it really did. Like, yeah. what did you think? Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> it wasn't my least favorite. That one's still MacArthur Park, but it was up there. I. It's the third cover of a song by one of the Beatles, and I feel like he should have just left them alone. Yeah, he was beating them into submission. <laughs> like, give them a break. <laughs> like you've already killed the beetle you stomped on it. it you smashed it with your shoe with the heel of your shoe and now you're just smearing it into the floor tony bennett what are you doing no nah, it was terrible i mean don't i mean maybe like people like car crashes and people some people like very disgusting things so maybe that's for them but this isn't for me and this isn't for most people i will just say that now the next track um it's my Sharia Amore, and it's Stevie Wonder. And I do know the original of this. I thought it was a good cover, a good cover. This is classic song. This is this actually is more of classic Tony Bennett. Um, it is, you know, it does have that Z factor to it a little bit, but that's just because this isn't my style of music per se. But it was, I thought this was a decent cover of this song. Like, do you know the original or, or, uh, oh, yeah. I, 
love oh, yeah. Stevie Wonder. Well, I mean, what did you think about his treatment, you know, Tony Bennett's treatment of it? I, I didn't think it was bad. No, it was actually my favorite off of the album. I feel like my Sharia more lends itself to Tony's style a lot more than some of these other songs. So, I think it worked for him better than the rest. I feel like... It's still not something I, I would well, seek out. I also feel like as well, with Stevie Wonder being a composer, I feel like maybe Tony Bennett respected him a little bit more in his music because he doesn't respect he doesn't respect the Beatles or any of these guys like this. I do know that at that time, at that time he did not respect these bands. He thought they was trash. With very few of the people in these songs that he covered, that he thought the music was even worth looking at. So that's a lot of the reason he got so ill about it and got sick and didn't want to do it because it just he, he thought it was terrible to begin with that's why he didn't put any effort into it but i i do feel like maybe the stevie wonder thing i think maybe he did have a respect for stevie wonder as a composer so it and it did lend itself well and maybe they worked together on it a little bit too i don't know but i thought it was great i thought that one was and it probably is the best on the album but i'm gonna go to the next one don't want to but i'm gonna go to the next one um, I don't know the original of this. It's it's called "Is That All There Is." I was thinking about that. Uh, that that's perfect. It should have been the title of this this album. Honestly, it should have been. It shouldn't have been the hits of today. It should. Have, is that all there is? You know. Um, this is Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller. I don't recognize it. Uh, I put not feeling this at all. It has a very old sound, but boring, and just. I'm ready to be done with this. That's what I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know the original either, but you know, like you said, I wish that this was all there is, but unfortunately we have two more songs. And we're going to gonna slide right through them too, because I don't care to talk about them. I'm sorry, folks. We're going to give them treatment, but they're not worth, they're not worth it. Listen to Tony Bennett somewhere else. Um, the next track is here and that's Gene Lee's. I don't recognize that one either. Uh, dreary just absolutely dreary I would rather watch paint dry on the wall than listen to this song that that was this one was the worst I did not listen to very much of this track but what did you think about it I did not want to be here at the time yeah I don't really have anything else to say about it that I haven't said about the other songs that we've already talked about it's just not good now the, the other side of the coin, this next song, the last song on the album, Sunrise Sunset. Um, it's Jerry Bach and Sheldon Harnside. Those, I don't I don't recognize those names as either. But this had a classic sound. Uh, his, vo his vo voice was very strong in this song. It, I could see this in the credits of a movie. Uh, like something classy, you know. Um... I don't know. I, I didn't mind this, but this one did have more of a Tony Bennett vibe to it. So that might have been what it was. I just, I don't know. I uh, I didn't think it was a bad song to end the, the album on. Because, you know, there's, there's stronger songs, if you can call them stronger, in this album. But I thought it was okay. Especially way better than the, the two before it. So, like, what did you think about it? Yeah, I didn't recognize this song when I was listening to Tony Bennett's cover of it, 
but I feel like I do know it. Um, it seems like it's maybe a, a show tune of some sort, maybe from a movie, like you said, I'm not sure. It wasn't as bad as the rest of the album, but it's, it's not great, but it was also not as bad as Eleanor Rigby or Little Green Apples. Yeah, Eleanor Rigby was, I think, the absolute worst track. It may have been the worst track of anything that I listened to you know, when I was trying to do all of these albums. It might have been my least favorite of anything that I listened to. I don't know, but it, it was right there in the running as being the worst, the absolute worst thing. No, but um, you know, it, it's 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 kind of unfortunate that we have to, you know, end the week on an album like that. But I guess that's the way it goes sometimes because sometimes you're going to get great great stuff and then sometimes you may not it may be a little weaker i guess that's true with with when you get four thousand albums there's gonna be some good it's the nature of the beast yeah, gonna be some good and gonna be some bad so like i said that well that is our first week and we've got what next week we're gonna have it's a light week so well, I thought we would probably do. We're going to try to combine weeks sometimes, like we had talked about before, because we could devote, you know, one podcast to a couple album releases, and that would be good if the albums are good. And next week would probably be okay. But what we really would like to strive to do with Chord Chronicles is to maybe speed up a little bit just for you know so we can get current with present week 50 years ago and it's going to be a haul to do it but <laughs> i think we can but we're gonna try. yeah we are going to try <laughs> like next week would normally be the 8th through the 15th but i think we're going to try to put two weeks in so and we're gonna we're gonna see where that takes us, but that that will give more because there were only two albums released in that second week of January, so I think that'll actually help. But um, you know, like I say, it was terrible to have to end the week on such a low note, but I feel like right in the middle there were some little bitty uh, nuggets of gold. So and I just I did yeah, I, agree. I did discover some new music that I didn't know about before and some artists and I really hope the listeners uh, like to, you know will go through and check out some of this music and you know for yourself you know don't just take our word for it even though we are experts <coughs> official official yes yes Tom yes but um, yeah like to say uh, you know. Listen to it with your own ear, your own experiences, and, you know, maybe you'll have a different appreciation that we do not have for it. But next week, we will have two weeks coming up. So with that being said, I think we're going to close for now. Do you have anything else to add? Yeah. Other than Eleanor Rigby is the best cover ever of any song. 
not gonna go quite that far. No, I am really looking forward to our next episode. I know the next week we've got some really good albums. I haven't looked at the third week yet, so I'm excited to see what that holds. I mean, we can go ahead and preview next week. I guess we can do that real fast. That will give someone, everyone to look forward to. A little bit to look forward to. Next week is going to be a good week. Even if we just did the two albums, that would have been a Marvin Gaye album and a Badfinger album. Yes. Both going to be good albums. But because we're going to go ahead and do two weeks, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to get Marvin Gaye. You're going to get Badfinger. You're going to get MC5. You're going to get Dusty Springfield. You're going to get Aretha Franklin. Johnny Cash. And that's, you know, a couple more. But those are your big names. So I'm really excited for next week because, you know, got Johnny Cash in there. It's a good country. You know, not that we didn't have good country, Loretta. I love you. But we got some good country. We got Marvin Gaye and Aretha. So more of uh, more of my stuff. And I mean, MC5 and, you know, Dusty Springfield. There's just some really exciting stuff coming up. Yeah, it's up. a good mix. So, so, but I invite everyone to uh, tune in next week and check out all these artists and have a safe week. Yeah, let us know what you think. Thanks for listening. To... Yep, let us know what you think and we'll actually have more uh, availability for you to do that later on. Um, we're going to have an email and we'll ha- we will have a social media presence. But I wanted to go ahead and get this out here and let everyone know about the podcast. And like we said, once again, we're going to try to get it to where it's present, to where it's, you know, this week, 50 years ago. So, but with that being said, everyone have a nice, happy, safe, music-filled week.